Would you join me in the Word of God in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31? Jeremiah 31. And I believe that this verse is going to touch you almost immediately. If your heart is prepared and you're uh, prayed up, I'm sure this verse will touch you. This passage. Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rahel weeping for her children refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. And they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They will come from the land of the enemy to thine own border. And you will not have to lament any longer. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I have a message for you this morning about prayer like Brother Don had uh, Wednesday night. In fact, I've been meditating for some time about an example that Brother Don used, Brother uh, Zechariah in uh, the Gospel of Luke and how uh, he was the father of John the Baptist and the Lord said, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. It was a prayer for children like Rachel's prayer was a prayer for children. And Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, they were desperate for children like Rachel was desperate for children. Are you desperate for children? Spiritual children. And for your own flesh children and grandchildren to come to the Lord. Are you desperate? Rachel said, give me children or I die. She said that to Jacob, give me children or I die. And I think there's a great thing about Rachel. She says, give me children or I die. She, she's not going to be happy with one. You know, she doesn't say, give me a child or I die. She says, give me children or I die. Are you desperate for spiritual children? Are we more desperate for a healing for our aches and pains? Or are we more desperate for spiritual children? Not only our children, our flesh children, to come to the Lord and to be returned from the land of the enemy and to come to their their own borders again. Hallelujah. But the Lord's children, are we desperate for the Lord's children, for the Lord to make an increase of his family and of the kingdom? Amen? Let me fill you in a little bit on the background here. Jeremiah was a prophet just before the Babylonian exile, and in fact, he was taken uh, from Jerusalem where he did his preaching. 
in the Babylonian exile, he was taken as a captive to Babylon. So um, the, the most of his preaching was uh, prior to the Babylonian exile, and then uh, some of his preaching was in Babylon during the exile. And so the exile took place, and the defeat and destruction of Jerusalem took place because many in Judea had become sinful and idolatrous. And the Lord's patience was just brought to an end. You know, he only was going to tolerate so much. And he warned them through the prophet Jeremiah, I have good intentions for you. You know, we know, all, we know the verse about how the Lord has a good plan for us and good intentions for us and a future in mind for us. The Lord was saying, my intention towards you is all good, but good is not going to happen if you don't get right with me. We're, that, that good intention is going to be frustrated if you, didn't get, if you don't get right with me and get rid of your idolatry. And, you know, of course, Jeremiah was a very strong preacher against idolatry. And brothers and sisters, we have to realize that not everybody in Judea was sinful. They were not all sinful. They were not all idolaters. I mean, Jeremiah wasn't sinful in an idolater, right? Of course, he was sinful in the sense that all men have sinned. I, I, I'll grant you that any day of the week. But he was, a, he was a good man trying to do the will of God, right? Right? With all of his heart, he was trying to do the will of God. And when he tried to resist doing the will of God, he said, the word of God just burned in me, and I woe is me if I keep my mouth shut. Amen. You know, so not everybody in Jerusalem and Judea were idolaters and were were evil and were walking in perversion and so on and so forth. And so the, the good guys, let's call them, Jeremiah and the rest of the good guys, were praying all along, oh Lord, don't let us go down. Oh Lord, revive us. Oh Lord, Let us walk as your faithful children and servants and not be uh, betrayers. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he prayed like this and he wept for the salvation of Jerusalem and the salvation of Judea, and so did others along with him. He wasn't the only prophet. But it didn't seem like God was hearing Their desire wasn't coming. The children weren't repenting. And it turns out this was going to take some time. And it was going to take some lament. And some weeping and some crying and some praying. And the example is given, you, you folks are like Rachel, who would not be comforted for her children. For they were not. Where are my children? Jeremiah could be saying, when they lowered him into a pit, because they wanted to stop him from 
being heard and they lowered him into a pit, in a prison, in a dungeon, down into the muck and the mud, in a deep hole. They lowered him by a rope. Jeremiah could be saying, where are your children? They are not. But here the Lord remembers through Rachel the type that sometimes the lament has to go on for a while. Sometimes the prayer of desperation has to go on for a while. But the answer comes. There's hope. The answer comes. You you can't be comforted now. You refuse to be comforted now. But I'm going to tell you, stop your weeping. Stop your crying. Here come the children. From the grasp of the enemy. They're coming home. May the year 2022 be a year of coming home. Hallelujah. But we may have to be desperate for a while first. Do we weep for they are not? We need to see more people getting saved, brothers and sisters. Don't we? We have to see more people getting saved and baptized and joining the church community and becoming established here. We need to see it happen more. Amen? But we may have to cry out to God for a while. We may have to weep for a while for the children that are not. Where are they? Where are the conversions? Where are the baptisms? Where is the new believers class? Are you with me? The question is, how important is it to us? was very important to Rachel. And it was very important to Zechariah in the New Testament. They were desperate for children. Rachel wept. Jeremiah wept. And in fact, the people of Israel, just before Jesus Christ showed up, they were weeping for a Messiah. They were lamenting for deliverance from Rome. They were praying along the way, you know, praying and praying, oh God, this cannot be the way you want it. This cannot, this, this meager service to you cannot be the way you want it. Where are your children? In the time just before Jesus was born, They were weeping for a Messiah, a child to be born, a son to be given, right? A son to be given. Oh, that a son would be given. Rachel, oh, that my children would be given. Jeremiah, oh, that your people would repent. In Israel at the time of Jesus, oh, that a son would be given. You know, there was Messiah fever at the time of Jesus. And, God's, and the Bible says that in the fullness of time, when the time was perfect, God made a son of a woman. He made a son, amen, to bring his people back. God gave them comfort after their weeping. Verse 16 says, Refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears. 
for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. I want to tell you, Living Word Church, your work will be rewarded. I've got a promise from God for you this morning. Your work shall be rewarded. And your work is going to be prayer and fasting. And your work will be rewarded. Are you going to believe it? Are you going to embrace the promise of God? Your work shall be rewarded, verse 16 says, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. Oh, I'd like that. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. The children of Rachel here have a threefold reference. There's, there's a reference in three different ways. First of all, of course, would be Rachel to have children of her, of her own flesh and of her own body. She had been barren. And I want to remind you in the Bible how many stories are there of women who were barren. And then the Lord came through for them when they prayed to God and they were desperate for, before God. How about Hannah? Was she not desperate for children? And God gave her children. But she had to get pretty desperate first and she had to pray with all of her heart. And how about Sarah? And how about so many others? So first off, Rachel's prayer for children were for her own children, which would eventually include Joseph, the patriarch Joseph, and the patriarch Benjamin. She got her children. Second, it has a reference to Israel and the church. God's children. May God's children come to him. May they come home to him like the prodigal son. It's it's the parable about us all. We were all sinful and wasting the opportunities that God had given us until we came home to him. And third, this prayer for the child is the prayer for the special child, the son which is born unto us. The government will increase on his shoulders. He will be the king of kings and lord of lords, the only begotten son of God, the eternal word made flesh. Hallelujah. It has that reference too, a threefold reference. And may the special child to deliver us from our sins be born in a sense afresh and anew in the hearts and the minds and the spirits of central New York. Matthew chapter 2, verse 18 is a reference to Jeremiah 31. And it brings that account into the realm of Jesus. Matthew 2.18 says, In Ramah there was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. Now, it 
it's something how it refers to her children, but then it says they are not. And this is because she had faith for children, and she saw the children by faith, and she grabbed a hold of them, the children, by faith in her imagination, but they had not materialized. Where were they? And in this case, in Matthew, the context is different than it is in Jeremiah. The context is that there were very few children in Bethlehem during that season because a monster had killed them off. A monster was roaming about in Bethlehem and killing off the children. Herod, out of his maniacal fear, his demonic fear of the Messiah, he had ordered all the children two years and younger to be slain. My God, what a monster. Genocide. What a wicked man. What an evil heart. Hope I'm not scaring her. I think think it's a he. Too young to understand. He's all right. It's just my yelling. There were many... There were very few children in Bethlehem. You could look around and say, where are the kids? Where are the kids? The kids are gone. Now you recall, an angel came to Joseph and told Joseph, get your, get your wife and get little baby Jesus. Get him out of here. Get him out of Bethlehem because Herod is coming after him. Go to Egypt for a period. Amen? And it is, this, it is parallel to the Old Testament story. I'm sure you realize that. That uh, salvation had to go into Egypt first in order to follow the pattern of Israel and, be, and come back from Egypt in order to bring life to the nation of Israel. It is like Israel going to Egypt and Joseph going to Egypt in order to save the nation of Israel. Jesus, Jesus had to have his Egyptian period, so to speak. His, his time in Egypt. But the children in Bethlehem were being killed one after another by a monster, by a devil. But God raised up a savior out of that season and out of that situation and out of that death. And I want to tell you, so many of our children and so many of our grandchildren are being murdered off, are being spiritually killed, are being spiritually targeted, are being spiritually attacked, are being spiritually assaulted by a, by a monster, by the dragon, by the devil. But God is able to bring forth life out of that situation. God is able to bring forth light out of the darkness. Hallelujah. For good to overcome evil. That's the promise. It's, hey, the game ain't over yet. Amen? They used to say in New York, the game ain't over till the fat lady sings. Well, I want to tell you, the game ain't over till the trumpet sounded. This is a certain prayer. 
A single prayer, a prayer for souls. It's a prayer that sweeps us up in its gravity. The prayer for the gift of healing. The prayer for reconciliation. The prayer for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You know, we're praying for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because we want to see people come to Jesus. We want to pray for uh, the gift of healing to sweep through the congregation. Why? Because we want to see people come to the Lord. We want to see God glorified and we want people to say, I've I've seen it. I didn't have to be told. I've seen the hand of God. We want prayer for reconciliation. All of this is to bring children unto God. The prayer I speak of that has this gravity that draws into it the prayer for healing, the prayer for reconciliation, the prayer for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost is the, is the prayer at the center of it all is the prayer for ch- children for God. Oh God, children! We're praying for children! Rachel refused to be comforted for the children who were not. But the Lord promised the weepers that their work would be rewarded. Do we also refuse to be comforted when our spiritual children are not? When there are few coming to the altar, few going to the new believers class, few getting baptized. Or do we talk ourselves out of the desperation? Do we talk ourselves back into toleration? Do we come become tolerant of the situation? Jeremiah wasn't tolerant of the situation. Zechariah wasn't tolerant of the situation. Rachel wasn't tolerant of the situation. They refused to be comforted. Do we just get used to the situation and come to just enjoy our fellowship within the bubble? Our work in prayer shall be rewarded. We can go back to Jeremiah 31. And it says in verse 16, your work will be rewarded. The work is prayer. The work they did is prayer. This is the work of prayer. Weeping before the Lord. Crying out before the Lord. Using your voice before the Lord. If the Lord wills, we'll have a big church meeting this Friday on New Year's Eve. And we're going to devote the meeting to prayer. Prayer for God to have, to make children. Oh, make babies, God. To bring our own children and grandchildren, our friends, our former students back from the clutches of the enemy. Come back into their own borders where they belong, where God put them, where they're fighting, for, they're fighting it. Pride, flesh, they're fighting it. I'll tell you, there's a murderer going about. The devil wants to kill souls. Our work in prayer will be rewarded, brothers and sisters. 
We'll pray especially for the salvation of souls and for the salvation of backsliders. The gravity of the prayer for souls will draw in and draw to it the prayer for healing, for the gifts of miracles, for the gifts of the Holy Ghost. We understand there's a process. Some things are needed. The gifts of the Holy Ghost need to operate fluently. The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the word of healing, the word of mir- uh, the, the mir- gift of miracles, the gift of healing. They have to operate too for souls to come in, right? The gravity of that prayer will, be, will draw in our prayer for the tools necessary to bring God glory and to bring his wayward, rebellious children back to him before they're utterly destroyed. May the children come again to their own border. May the prodigals come home. We'll pray for the scattered to come home. May they come to the place that has prospered in their absence. It's prospered. We're blessed. We're happy. May they come home to the place that, where there is more here than when they left. More going on. A greater move of God. More, even more than they left. As great as it was when they left. How could there be more when, than when they left? It's just this, that God is good. It's the only reason, because God is good. Out there, the children are in pain. But we share their pain, too. We want so much for the sinner to come home. The sinner's living in purposelessness, lost and wandering, trying this and trying that to make something of themselves. We have to understand, you know, if you look at a machine and you don't understand it, and you don't know what it's for, it's very easy to solve the problem. You just go to the inventor. You go to the creator of the machine, and you say, what is this for? What did you design this for? And he said, oh, I designed it for this and that. And you push in here, and you pull there, and you do the order of operations correctly, and look, it works. It accomplishes its purpose. You will not find your purpose by looking in you. Because you didn't create you. You will find your purpose by looking to your creator. And Jesus Christ created you. You're not going to find your purpose by following your passions. You'll find your purpose by going to the one who created you. Your purpose is in him. It is not in you. They're out there lost and wandering, angry, angry, but they don't even know what they're angry about. They don't even know who they're angry at. They're just leashing out in anger. They're just fighting. But before the Lord, we will intercede for them. We will intercede for them with care and compassion, with concern, and even with some desperation. Here's Rachel's case. It's in uh, Genesis chapter 30 and verse 2. 
Genesis 30, verse 2. It says in... I'm sorry, 22. Chapter 30, verse 22. And God remembered Rachel. And God hearkened to her. And opened her womb. And she conceived. And bare a son. And said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Was not Joseph the best son that Rachel and Jacob had? Was he the best son? Didn't he become the savior of the family? Couldn't we say about him that everything he did, everything he touched, the Lord prospered him? Wasn't he the son that was hated by his brothers and sold into slavery, but then rose up to become the grand vizier of Egypt? And the people from all over the world came to him and bowed to him and talked carefully to him because they wanted the grain that Joseph was wise enough to store up. Do you remember all this? But Rachel had to wait for a while to have this son, didn't she? It took a while for the son to come. It took quite a bit of praying first. It took some anguish. It took some desperation. It it took some weeping. She refused to be comforted, the Bible says, for her children, for they were not. But then they were. And she rejoiced. And she called Joseph, Joseph, which means Jehovah will add. Jehovah will add. He had to be waited for. He had to be granted through prayer and and weeping. Before Joseph was given, Rachel had to refuse to be comforted. But finally it says, finally it says in verse 22, and God remembered Rachel and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. Let's go to Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. Now, I had a two-part message here, but now it's only a one-part message because Brother Don preached part one. And that's good. I like that. Chapter 1, verse 13, it says, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Isn't it just like God to bring forth a child from the most unlikely Scenario, the most unlikely case, the most broken home, those who are, who the whole world is counting them out. Zechariah and Elizabeth were counted out. They were too old. They're done for. They're done. No children coming from there. Nothing good, no promises of God coming from there. But the angel said, fear not, your prayer has been heard. 
Don't you, don't you, you just never mind that you do not seem a, a quality source for God's will to be done. You watch, you pray with all your heart. You pray and you weep. You say, I'm not, I'm not taking no for an answer, God. And God will use even you to bring forth children unto him. God loves to, to uh, bring forth his life and his fruit and his promises from the most unlikely of sources. I have to tell you, I thought I was cried out. In other words, I thought my tears were, had dried up. I thought, I thought my tears were over. It just was all kind of wrenched out of me. But now I'm finding the tears are flowing again. It's just like every time I pray, the tears come again. And I'm crying again for souls. It's like I've had a revival in my heart. I'm I'm so glad I'm crying again. And I care. And I'm moved. And I want to see God have children. New souls in our church. And I refuse to be comforted. Calm down, Brother Brian. No, I'm not going to calm down. You calm down. Let's go back to Jeremiah 31. And look at verse 9. Remember, Jeremiah is leading people to exile. He's leading them to a desperate situation. Verse 9 said, They shall come with weeping and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Your children are not only your children. They are also God's children. I am not saying that they are saved by some kind of strange interpretation of sanctification or some loosey-goosey agape. I am not saying that. If they die before they choose Christ and get right with God, they have nothing to look forward to but perdition. God better keep them alive until they turn to Jesus Christ. They have no eternal destiny but perdition unless they make their decisions for Jesus. Your love and your prayers cannot save anybody against their will. In fact, God's own love cannot save them against their will. But God is dealing. God is working. God is dealing with them as with children, as with family. As with great care and concern, as a shepherd with his beloved flock, he's dealing with them. He is pained by their rebellion as you are. Look at the pain in our city of Syracuse, New York. Oh my, we're kind of insulated from it, my brethren. We're kind of, we're kind of safe from it, and we may sometimes shake our head and wonder if it really could be so. The drugs, the shootings, the poverty, the single mother families, 
The children in our city waking up hungry. Our city called by several news sources, one of the poorest cities in America, called by news sources, the worst city in America to be black. What is going on in this city? This needy city. So many grandmothers raising their children's children. So many women bearing children without the presence of a man. Talk to them at the bus stops. Talk to them on the street. They'll tell you, oh, my grandma told me about that. My grandma told me about that. My grandma's, I, I owe it all to her. She's kept me sane. So many children depending on the school to feed them. Can't we do better than this as a city? Can't we climb out of the pit? I know you're pretty comfortable, a lot of you, most of you, like me, pretty comfortable in the burbs. Why is our city so much pain? It's the city's sin, no doubt about it. The city is reaping the results and the rewards of its sin, no doubt about it. It's also unjustly, unfairly, social determinants that are historical and traditional and agonizing. That's part of the picture too. Why should the destiny of the children be determined by generations of poverty and lack of vision and lack of education? Why should this be so? It seems like we could use the proverb that Jeremiah said. Don't use that proverb with me anymore. The proverb. It seems like it's true in our city that the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But Jeremiah said, don't use that proverb with me. Why is that? For one reason alone, because God is alive. Because God can change the situation. Because God can reach into the impossible situation and all things are possible with God. That's why Jeremiah said, don't use that proverb with me anymore. It's not that the proverb is not true. It's not that we can't see it at the left and at the right. It's not that we can't run into a wall of that proverb being true. The children... Our, our, their teeth are set on edge because the, of what the fathers did. But there's an answer, and there's a hope, and there's a way. And I'm telling you, brethren, God's people have to pray it in. God wants these days to be over. Can they be saved? I'll tell you, God is looking for children. He's not only looking to start programs and social justice endeavors. God desires to save and put on a different path his children. He says in this verse, I will cause them to walk. This is verse 9, right? I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. Level paths in a place of abundance. They will not stumble. And this is the path where the Lord is the leader. God wants to snatch the children out of this terrible situation where it seems like it's overwhelming and irresistible gravity to pull them down into the enemy's clutches 
And he wants to pull them up out of the muck and the mire and give them a future. God's children just have to walk. They have to walk on the path that he provides. God will keep them from stumbling. God will lead his children into consistency. And building their lives a block at a time, a block at a time. There is a path to peace. And an end to the fighting. There is a path to security. And an end of want and poverty. There is a good future. And an end to fear. There is a path to receiving honor, personal honor and personal respect and an end to shame and humiliation. There is a path to confidence and an end to striving and ugly pride. There is a path to being clean and an end to ungodly sex and thievery. Are we ready, brothers and sisters, to pray and to fast? I will invite you on New Year's Day of 2022, not only to come, I'm sorry, New Year's Eve of of 2021, not only to come to church prepared to pray, but perhaps you would like to join us and we would like to join as a church in devoting that day to a day of fasting and penitence before God. I'm not talking about penance. I'm talking about just humbling ourselves before God on New Year's Eve and fasting that day if you have the health situation where you can handle it. Fasting that day and making it a day, a whole day of prayer and fasting that God would bring four children to himself. That we would see the converts come in if it is necessary to fill us with the Holy Ghost first, amen. If it is necessary, oh God, to, to have a gift of healing sweep across the sick and the, and the hurting and, the, and the, the lame and the blind and the deaf, oh God, may it, may it be. Fasting and prayer on New Year's Eve. Come here, you can break the fast in the, in the banquet hall after church is over. For the children of this city, for, the, for your own children and your grandchildren, for the children of this city, for the children of the many immigrants that are coming into this city. So many immigrants, they don't know where to turn. They don't know what life is about. Their heads are spinning. Oh, Jesus, let them find their anchor, their harbor. Let them find their place of safety in you and use this congregation to help bring forth children unto unto you, Lord. We got a lot to pray for. We got a lot to pray about. But I want to tell you, your work will be rewarded. Jim Cimbala, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, says... You don't know the health of a church by its Sunday morning meeting. You know the health of a church by its prayer meeting. You see a healthy prayer meeting, you see a healthy church. You see a pretty souped up, jazzed up, 
pretty cool, pretty inspiring and moving Sunday morning. Okay, that's good. Nothing wrong with that. Brooklyn Tabernacle, they got a choir of about 300. That's pretty cool. That's inspiring. Nothing wrong with that. But the pastor of the church says, but judge the health of the congregation by our prayer meeting. That's when you see the real us. I read his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. We're doing our best to make it available to the whole church as a gift to the whole church. You gave a gift to the church, now the church is going to give a gift back to you. You read about that testimony. All the home fellowship leaders have received the book, and they're just reporting to me one after another how inspiring it is. The book is so inspiring for them to pray. I want to tell you the book touched my heart. His story touched my heart, and the main thing it touched is it, it brought alive... It, brought, it, it revived, oh, brothers and sisters, my desire to pray. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Where was I? Oh, Lord. Oh, just from my heart. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Whatever it takes, Lord. Oh, the children will come to you. Oh, that they would escape the grasp of the enemy. Oh, that they would come back onto their own borders. They would come home. Home into your arms. Oh, God, and I pray the Lord do the same with you. And, or if you're in great shape, that you help lead us in prayer for the lost. That's my word for today. It's early yet. Perhaps you'd like to come forward and pray.